welcome to Arbitral Insights, a podcast series brought to you by our international arbitration practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I'm Jose Estigarraga, Global Head of Reed Smith's International Arbitration Practice. I hope you enjoy the industry commentary, insights, and anecdotes we share with you in the course of this series, wherever in the world you are. If you have any questions about any of the topics discussed, please do contact our speakers. And with that, let's get started. Welcome back to the latest installment of Reed Smith's Arbitral Insight podcast series. I'm JP Duffy, and I'm a partner in Reed Smith's International Arbitration Group based in New York. I'm joined today by one of my partners, Simon Greer, who's also in Reed Smith's International Arbitration Group, and he's based in London. Today, Simon and I will be discussing insights that were gleaned from an interview I conducted in December with the incoming president of the ICC court, Claudia Solomon, about the 2021 ICC rules, as well as an interview of Paula Hodges QC, who is the president of the LCIA that one of our colleagues conducted in December as well about the updated LCIA rules. Both interviews were highly enlightening and give listeners the opportunity to hear directly from the presidents of both the ICC and the LCIA about their rule changes. So I commend both podcasts to you, which can be found on Reed Smith's website. For those that haven't had the opportunity to listen to those interviews, Simon and I will still out some of the more salient insights that came from each one. With that, let's jump right into the first subject that both interviews addressed, which is the use of technology in arbitration. The use of technology as a means of minimizing time and costs was becoming increasingly common before the pandemic, but has necessarily become ubiquitous since the advent of COVID. It's therefore unsurprising that both the updated ICC and LCIA rules address the topic. And when I spoke with Claudia, she emphasized that the changes to the ICC rules were designed to increase efficiency, clarify the circumstances in which remote hearings are permitted, and in some respects, reflect changes that have been going on well before the COVID pandemic arose. Simon, what did Paula Hodges say about technology and the amendments to the LCIA rules that you found particularly poignant? Thanks, JP. I agree. It's been an extraordinary year and one that it was important that arbitral institutions responded to. And Paula Hodges QC's comments reflected that. For instance, she talked about modernizing due to the rapid evolution of arbitration during the COVID-19 pandemic. And she also mentioned a new normal in terms of electronic communications and filings being the default position. I agree with that. And I personally believe the days of paper filings and communications are in the past. I was particularly pleased to see the LCIA expressly remove reference to faxing as a method of communication as that's a particularly archaic format that, in my experience, often presented problems. What the new norm will be for hearings is much more challenging to predict. Paula Hodges rightly noted there's different views on this. When you think about international arbitration and what it involves, it's, of course, ripe for remote hearings, parties, counsel, witnesses, arbitrators, and indeed the seat of the arbitration are often strung across the globe and organising and timetabling in-person hearings can often be a significant undertaking. Uh, There's also no doubt that many remote hearings have taken place and worked well. I've participated in a number of remote hearings myself, and save for the odd issue with internet connections or technology, they've worked reasonably well, and we felt we've had a fair hearing and an opportunity to get across our case the way we wanted. However, for me, there's three significant downsides to remote hearings. Firstly, I do think there can be a certain loss of effectiveness of oral submissions that you would otherwise get when you're looking at the tribunal face-to-face. 
messages and points are, are often better delivered when looking at someone in the eyes and capturing the attention of tribunals is also, in my view, easier in person. Secondly, I think you lose an ability to read the room in remote hearings. At an in-person hearing, your ability to judge the reaction of the tribunal, your opponent, and witnesses to points that arise and submissions that are made uh, is much better than in a remote environment. Thirdly, on cross-examination, I think there's a certain degree of sanctity lost in the process, and also it's less pressured. Perhaps one view might be that having witnesses more relaxed in a remote environment might be conducive to better evidence being given, but the flip side is if you're trying to discredit the uh, evidence of an opponent's witness, I think that's much more challenging when questioning them remotely. So I agree with Paula Hodge's prediction that what we might see is more hybrid merits hearings in future with the tribunal, legal counsel, and then key witnesses and party representatives in the room in person but then perhaps other witnesses and party representatives joining remotely. That's very helpful. I think I agree in many respects. And having just done a jurisdictional hearing in Singapore from New York at a very odd hour, I think there are practical considerations beyond how you deal with just evidence and witnesses that have to be considered as well. But I also agree that it's going to be interesting to see how hearings pan out in the post COVID environment and whether remote hearings will continue with the same frequency once in-person hearings can routinely begin again. And in fact, I'm reminded of a comment that one well-known arbitrator made recently that remote hearings are a bit like Zoom cocktails. We all tolerate them for now, but the question will be, (laughs) are we going to have to when it's no longer a necessity? And I think that remains an open question in some regards. I want to turn now to changes to both the ICC and the LCIA rules that were designed to increase efficiency and improve flexibility. Improved efficiency was one of the key factors that Claudia cited as a reason for the 2021 rule revisions, and that objective is clearly apparent from those revisions, and particularly in the changes that the ICC made to its joinder and consolidation rules. For instance, Article 7.5 under the ICC rules now allows for the possible joinder of additional parties after the tribunal is constituted, which was not previously permitted without every party's consent. And Article 10 allows for two or more arbitrations that arise under the same arbitration clauses or different but compatible arbitration clauses between the same parties that arise out of the same legal relationship to be consolidated. And as Claudia pointed out, both of those changes can greatly increase the efficiency of multi-party and complex arbitrations, which are increasingly more common. As Claudia also noted, however, the ICC intentionally made only narrow changes to the consolidation provisions to provide more predictability to users. I believe the LCIA took a more expansive approach to consolidation than the ICC did, and I'm interested to hear what insights Paula Hodges shared on that point, Simon. Thanks, JP. You're correct that the LCIA's revisions to its consolidation rules went beyond those made by the ICC. As Paula Hodges explained, this was linked to the LCIA's focus on improving efficiency and flexibility in relation to resolving complex disputes. Paula Hodges mentioned how the LCIA had recognised the increasingly common situation in disputes where there are multiple parties on both sides and multiple contracts underlying the subject matter but they don't have the same parties to each contract. Paula Hodges cited infrastructure projects as an example of a case where this commonly occurs. The LCA already had sophisticated provisions in relation to consolidation, but as Paula Hodges explained, 
The new language in Article 22.7 of the LCIA rules serves to extend the potential for consolidation to situations where there are related contracts and where the parties to those contracts differ. Consolidation can now occur in these circumstances where the arbitration agreements in the different contracts are the same or compatible, even if not all parties consent. Paula Hodges also mentioned the fact the LCA court can now order consolidation before the tribunal is formed. The reasoning for this was that the LCA wanted to make consolidation as efficient as possible by bringing the disputes together as one as early as possible. I think these changes are all positive and show that the LCA is clearly recognising the increased prevalence of complex multi-party and multi-contract disputes across many industries and the need for efficiency and flexibility in relation to how they are conducted. That's great, Simon, and I agree. I think the updates to both sets of rules are positive and reflect the increasingly complex dispute environment that we're seeing in arbitration relating to a number of different sectors. Um, you know, for instance, when I spoke to Claudia about this, she mentioned the obvious sectors of energy and construction, but also mentioned how you're seeing many more multi-party proceedings in the financial sector. And I pointed out that you see the same in the life sciences sector. So I think these are all very salient points. One of the more interesting points I got to discuss with Claudia were the amendments to Article 17.2 of the ICC rules which now permit a tribunal to exclude a new party representative from participating in proceedings if allowing the representative to do so would create a conflict for the tribunal. As Claudia and I discussed, that change was expressly designed to prevent what had become known as guerrilla tactics by preventing parties from bringing in new counsel for the express purpose of disrupting or delaying proceedings. Simon, I understand that Paula Hodges addressed similar themes in her interview and that the LCIA is also taking active steps to prevent disruption and delay. And I'd love to hear you comment on that a bit. Yes, that's right. Paula Hodges talked about addressing dilatory parties and having deterrence in the LCIA rules to prevent disruptive tactics and delay. The updates to the LCIA rules spell out expressly some of the powers that arbitrators have that could be used to prevent such conduct. Interestingly, Paula Hodges observed that whilst the changes in Articles 14 and 2218 of the LCI rules have always been available to arbitrators, their actual use in arbitrations can vary depending on the background of arbitrators. Paula Hodges talked about giving arbitrators confidence to use the tools available to them. I think confidence is an important word and it hits the nail on the head. I personally welcome the LCIA's additions of express wording to make clearer some of the tools available to arbitrators to address disruptive and dilatory conduct. And I hope this gives arbitrators more confidence to use them. I particularly like the early determination provision in Article 22.1.8, which is akin to summary judgment in the English court. And I note that this was a change of particular personal interest to Paula Hodges, as she has recognized the common frustration of parties being unable to swiftly eliminate unmeritorious claims I agree with her observation that clients can be immensely frustrated by lingering on meritorious claims that are left pending right the way through to the final hearing. And I hope that the LCIA's new early determination provision assists in addressing that. Yeah, just to pick up on that point, Simon, I think the early determination procedures are very important. Those are something that were introduced into the AAA commercial rules several years ago now. And it's something I've written about rather extensively in a treatise called International Arbitration in the United States. 
And I think the ability to have an early determination on claims that are unmeritorious really does improve the process. I sit as an arbitrator relatively frequently and routinely ask the parties about that at the outset before the first procedural hearing, whether they wish to include that process. And I've disposed of a few cases, or at least significant portions of cases, through early determination. And it really does increase efficiency and focus the parties on what's most important while getting rid of claims that are that are in some instances spurious. So I think it's a very welcome addition to the LCIA rules. Now, another theme that Claudia mentioned in relation to the ICC rules was transparency. For example, Claudia explained that increased transparency was the motivation behind the new Article 12.9 of the 2021 ICC rules, which allows the ICC court in exceptional circumstances to appoint each member of the tribunal to avoid the risk of unequal treatment and unfairness that may affect the validity of the award. This change serves to highlight why it's important when drafting arbitration clauses adopting the ICC rules to make sure that any process stipulated for the appointment of arbitrators is both fair and reasonable. Transparency was also a theme in the LCIA's updates. Can you just talk us through that as well, please? Sure. Paula Hodges mentioned the importance of transparency in the context of the LCIA's new Article 14a which addresses the role and responsibilities of tribunal secretaries. She emphasized that tribunal secretaries is a hot topic in arbitration and that their involvement in arbitrations has previously been met with some objection. Interestingly, however, she mentioned that the arbitral community is recognizing the increased prevalence of tribunal secretaries and the value they bring in terms of assisting with the efficient conduct of arbitrations and also developing young arbitration practitioners. It's therefore good to see that the LCA is keeping an eye on this trend and looking to update its rules in relation to it. I agree with Paula Hodges that transparency is the key here for clients to understand why tribunal secretaries are involved in arbitrations and what they're doing. The changes in Article 14a are welcome, particularly those providing that, quote, under no circumstances may an arbitral tribunal delegate its decision-making function to a tribunal secretary, unquote, and that tribunal secretaries have to be approved by the parties. And one of the conditions to such approval is that, quote, the parties have agreed the tasks that may be carried out by the tribunal secretary, unquote. Yeah, that's a very, that's a very interesting change and a very welcome one. I know tribunal secretaries can be a very challenging situation. And I, I certainly had one a few years ago under the LCIA rules where a tribunal secretary was effectively imposed upon the parties. And it does create challenges when there's no landscape or no no guidance around how that will operate. So we touched briefly earlier on Claudia's comments about the importance of keeping up to speed with developments in the evolving legal landscape and adaptability. One of those changes that's become a very hot topic over the last several years in both the US and certainly in your jurisdiction as well, Simon, is the prevalence and use of third-party funding. It's not surprising that the ICC is updating its rules to address that, and I expect there may be more to come in future updates as well. The ICC's new requirements for disclosure of third-party funding arrangements is part of a trend in the disputes environment for third-party funding, or at least the fact of third-party funding, to be disclosed. And there are still questions as to whether 
That includes disclosure of the funding agreement, what level of disclosure is required, the purpose of disclosure, and many other things. But I think that trend towards disclosure is one that is definitely moving ahead in most jurisdictions and is particularly significant from a tactical perspective once you find out that your opponent has third-party funding. It can also be useful to understand how that impacts your case if you are the funded party. Simon, did you pick up on any other examples of the LCIA adapting to the evolving disputes landscape in the discussion with Paula Hodges? Sure. So one area that's obviously evolving rapidly is data protection law. And Paula Hodges helpfully explained that she had sometimes noticed a lack of awareness of the impact of the GDPR, which was implemented in May 2018 in LCI arbitrations. She made the interesting observation that if just one party, one arbitrator, or the seat of the arbitration are in the EU, then the GDPR will be applicable. And often parties and arbitrators were not recognizing this, particularly if they were based outside the EU. The fact that the LCA has picked up on this and introduced helpful new provisions in Article 30A to give a framework through which applicable data protection law compliance can be achieved in LCA arbitrations is very welcome. I think spelling these issues out in the arbitral rules is helpful as it draws it to everyone's attention front and center and helps to ensure it's not an issue that's overlooked. That's particularly important given that, understandably, parties' focus will be on the underlying dispute and its merits. Well, thank you, Simon. That's very useful insight. Overall, I think it's fair to say that both the ICC and the LCIA have taken significant steps to update their rules and to ensure that the rules are both efficient and reflect current practice, current best practices in the international arbitration community. I think the other thing that's come out of both interviews is the very key point that both institutions are keenly focused on ensuring that their rules continue to do that and will do that in the future, which is a very, very positive development. So that is all for today. Thank you very much to everyone for tuning in, and we hope you'll continue to listen to our Arbitral Insights series. If you have any questions about anything we've discussed, please do feel free to reach out to either of us. And as I say, you should also have a listen to both interviews, which can be found on Reed Smith's website. We look forward to having you tune in for the next edition, and thank you again. Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email Joseas de Garaga at jia at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcasts on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Reedsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. All rights reserved.